Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, please visit our website at yourgracepoint.com. That's point spelled with an E on the end, P-O-I-N-T-E. The website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Now, here's Pastor Aaron Zielinski. Have you ever wondered what makes you, you? Have you ever wondered what makes you, you? What makes you different from everybody else? How do you know that you are you? What makes you unique? What does it mean to be you? Have you ever thought about that? Like, Lord, who, what, who am I? What am I? Before you hurt your brain too much, that's not what we're going to be dealing with this morning. We're not going to be wrestling with what makes you, you, or what makes me, me. But we are going to wrestle with what makes us, us, here at Grace Point. We need to know who we are. We need to know what we are. We need to know what we're about. And we're going to know what it means for Grace Point to be Grace Point. You know, I think that's something that every church needs to do from time to time is revisit this question of who are we? What are we doing? Why are we here? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? I mean, we could say simple things like, well, we're, we're just, we're Christians. We, we get together, we worship together. But why, why here? Why this group of believers? Why are we together? What are we doing? Who are we? What are we? How are we doing the things that we're doing? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? I think every local church needs to understand who and what they are. Because sometimes we get into this thing where we just, you go somewhere, you go to church, you say, oh, this is a nice church, I'll go here. Why? Why, why do we even go to church on Sunday mornings? Like, what, what is that about? Any of you been in the military, been, ever been on a ship, stationed on a boat? You know, when you get in the chow line, it takes like an hour, right, to get through the line to eat. It just does. When you need to get, go to the barber shop, it takes about an hour in line. Everything you want to do is about an hour in line. And sometimes you just see lines and people get in them. And you're like, why are you in line? I don't know. There was just this line here. I just kind of got in it. It's kind of what we do on ship. But do you ever wonder why do we go to church? Why do you go to church here? Why do we all get together regularly as Grace Point? I think every believer needs to wrestle with that. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk through our identity as Grace Point. What does it mean for us to be Grace Point? What, what is our identity as that? What is our mission? What are we here to accomplish as a local church? And then our, our strategy. How are we going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us? So we're going to look at those things this morning. And I want to start with our identity, because often we, we tend to think of a local church as, you know, just people who go to church together. What does it mean that I belong to Grace Point or I go to Grace Point? Well, that means I go to church there on Sunday morning. That's usually kind of as far as we ever think about it. But there's so much more to a local church than that we just get together here on Sunday mornings and worship together. A local church is called to be so much more than that. In fact, when we look in scripture, we're going to look at two places real quick in the book of Acts, where we see the early believers getting together. And it wasn't just on the first day of the week, though they did that. 
It wasn't just at the temple, though they did that, but they also got together in homes, from house to house, place to place, doing things together, more than just the Sunday morning peace. And look at the way this is described in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the body of Christ being the body? Not just coming together on Sunday, but doing life together all of life together. And we see an even more detailed picture in Acts chapter four. He says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I love that. Isn't that just a great phrase? They were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Isn't that a great picture? You get this group of people devoted to the Lord and and his teachings and, and the way of life he taught us. And they're, they're together, they're worshiping together, they're doing life together, they're breaking bread together, they're praying together, they're sharing meals together, they're meeting needs together, they're bringing resources together to do the work of the Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so this is how we're going to define ourselves and view ourselves as Grace Point Community Church, a loving community of believers who are following Jesus together. When people say, what does it mean that you go to church or what is Grace Grace Point? You don't have to say a church. You can just say, you know what Grace Point is? Grace Point is a loving community of believers who follow Jesus together. That's what we do. We're a group of believers. We love each other and we follow Jesus together. That doesn't pigeonhole us into Sunday morning. It actually has nothing to do with Sunday morning. It has nothing to do with this building. It has to do with us as a loving community of believers, united in a certain thing. And so we're gonna break that down just a touch. As believers, okay, we're a loving community of believers, not just random people who get together. There's something specific about who we are and why we get together, what forms this group, and that is our shared devotion to Jesus. It's about Jesus. We are a bunch of people who are fully surrendered to the lordship of Jesus in our life. We're not a bunch of people who have prayed the sinner's prayer. We're not a bunch of people who have just made a verbal profession. We are a group of people who are fully surrendered to his lordship. We're striving to live the life he's called us to live, to honor him with what we do, to be the people he's created us to be and is renewing us in his image by his spirit. That is what it is to follow Jesus. We're intentionally developing a loving, interactive relationship with him. 
Okay, think about that. That's what it is to be a believer. And that's what we all hold in common. We are committed to developing a loving, interactive relationship with Jesus. He's not just somebody we've affirmed as Lord. He's somebody that we know, that we engage with, we interact with him, we talk to him, we hear from him, we follow his lead, we let him shape us into his image by his spirit. We're believers. But we're a loving community of believers. See, we, the, the church, as God's people, is a community within whatever community we find ourselves See, we would say we're a part of the community of maybe Gwinnett County or Barrow County or Decula, however we want to define our community. The church exists as a community within that. And it transcends every culture. I don't care where you go, whether you're in in China, in Iraq, in Brazil, in Mexico, in the United States, the church is its own unique community own unique culture within whatever larger context it's in. And we're primarily a loving community. Jesus said we would be known by our love for one another. Of all the things he could have said, he said, if you love one another, people will know that you belong to me. He said, if you love one another, the world will know that I was sent from the Father. It's our love for each other that we truly should exist as a loving community. When people come in and visit, when, when new people come to check out the church, they should feel a love and a sense of belonging and welcoming that is tangible. Not just talked about, but expressed. Something that, that is seen, that is recognized. That means we also have to have loving, interactive relationships with each other. Okay, to be a real community of love as God's people we can't just do the Sunday morning thing together. It has to go far beyond that. These relationships can't just be, we see each other in the lobby, maybe we sit by each other, and then we don't see each other again until the next Sunday morning if we're here. Okay, that, that's not a loving community. That's maybe a social club. I don't even know if that's enough interaction to be a social club. That's just sitting by each other in an event once a week. And that's not what it's about. That's not what we want to be, and that's not what we want to, uh, to portray or to promote at all. We need to have real engagement with each other in our relationships. And that can take on so many different forms. You know, just um, having meals together and beyond just going out to eat after church, that we should do that. You know, the, the early church, we see them breaking bread in their homes on a regular basis. But maybe during the week, you know, if you've got a free night during the week, why well, don't say, you know what, I'm just going to have a different person from the church over every Tuesday night. I'm just going to start doing that. Invite people over from the church, get to know them, build the unity of the body. If you are going to go to a Friday night football game, invite somebody from Grace Point to go with you. Whatever you're going to do, see if somebody from Grace Point wants to go. If you're going to go camping for the weekend, say, hey, if you know somebody else is into camping, hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? You want to go camping with us? There are so many great opportunities to spend time together and build relationships, and we need to be doing that. So we're a loving community of believers, and we're following Jesus together. Okay, we don't just worship together. We don't just go to prayer together. We, we follow Jesus together throughout all of life. It's beyond the, the Sunday piece. It transcends that substantially. You're not alone in your walk. 
Okay, that's one of the enemy's biggest tricks is to make you feel alone and isolated, especially with whatever problems you may be having, whether it's a sin issue or just a struggle or, or a hardship or just feeling whatever. The enemy always wants to make us feel isolated and alone, but you're not. One, you have Jesus with you always and you have the body. We're, we're walking this walk together. Nobody should be doing it alone. There's no such thing in scripture as a Lone Ranger Christian. Okay, there's just not. It's common in our culture to hear, well, I'm spiritual and I'm, I follow Jesus, but I don't, I don't go to church. Well, that's not really a biblical portrait of a follower of Jesus because Jesus' followers did everything together, including their worship. They, they lived together. They functioned together as a family. That's why they called each other brother. You know, now the brother is just common uh, it, it's thrown around so much, it's really lost its weight, especially in the church in the South. Everybody's brother or sister so-and-so, but we don't actually think of that in familial terms, right? We just say brother so-and-so. We don't actually think of brother so-and-so as a brother, as, as the way you would a brother that you're at least on good terms with. We all have family members, you know, but whatever. We, we should be loving family with each other. That's how this thing should be. And that's what a local church is supposed to be, a loving community of believers who follow Jesus together. That's who we are as Grace Point, and that's who we're going to continue to become as Grace Point. But what do we do? Okay, that's who we are, and that's the first step, and we need to know who we are. That's who we are. Now, what do we do? What is our mission I think broadly speaking, Jesus gave his church her mission very, very clearly in what we all know commonly as the Great Commission. And we're going to look at that right here in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. In other words, all of this is grounded in the fact that he is the king. All authority is his. He just conquered sin and death. He rose from the dead. Now, in light of that, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But how do we do that? Because sometimes the word disciple is, is very misunderstood. We, as Christians, we're very guilty of throwing these expressions around and not really giving a clear understanding of what they actually mean. You know, how often have you been told we need to go make disciples, but we don't really have a clear understanding of what that means or how we're supposed to accomplish that? What does that really look like? And so as we wrestle with our mission and our particular emphasis here at Grace Point, we want to clarify that and simplify that but still capture the reality of what Jesus was telling us to do. And so when we look at our mission, this is how we're going to do it as a loving community of believers following Jesus together. Our mission is to glorify God by introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Very simple, but very all-encompassing of what God has called us to do. And so we're going to break that down as well. First off, we are to glorify God. That's what all of life is about. It's all for the glory of God. 
Everything that we do is for him, not for us. Nothing is for us. It's, we're not selfish in this. We're, we're not self-centered in this. Everything we do is for the glory of God. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He is our king. And we do everything to honor and glorify him. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled. When he was here, he said, Father, it's not my glory, it's yours. Not my will, your will. He's all about glorifying the Father. And so for us, that's where we want to start. That everything we do is to the glory of God. And it's not just about the way we sing. It's not just about worship, though singing and verbally declaring God's praises is a part of it. But every aspect of life is really an act of worship. Everything we do when mindful of him and fulfilling his will is absolutely an act of worship. And we have to view all of life as an act of worship. See, if we say things like, well, if you wouldn't say it in church, don't say it at home. If you wouldn't act that way at church, don't act that way at home. Because we think, well, this this is special because this is where I'm worshiping. Nothing changes when you walk out the door except your location. Everything about your life should still be worship, a continuous act of worship to our God. That's what we do. In fact, and even accomplishing our mission of making disciples or whatever God has tasked us with is one of the primary means that we can glorify God. Look in John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying uh, on the night right before they, they left the upper room to go out for him to be arrested. This is his kind of closing prayer, if you will, of his life. And he starts by saying, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. When we accomplish the work that that God gives us to do, it glorifies him. It honors him. It praises him. And so what we need to do is be diligent with this task of making disciples and introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him. We've got to be doing this because it glorifies God. So that's what we want to do. Secondly, we want to introduce people to Jesus. This is one of the primary ways we glorify God, introducing more people to him. And you see, this is what we mean when we say witness. Go be a witness. Go witness to somebody. Go do evangelism. Go share your testimony. We give all these different phrases, all these different terms, and some of them sound so intimidating and so complicated, and we don't really feel like we understand what we're supposed to do with that. It's really simple. Introduce people to Jesus. Have you ever introduced anybody to somebody else before? We've all done it. You know, introducing somebody to my spouse, it's like, hey, Eric, this is Gina. Gina, this is Eric. You've just introduced two people. Now, where their relationship goes from there, that's between them. But our goal is to introduce people to Jesus. If they don't know him, we want them to know him. It's not about getting them to come to church. It's not about getting them to read their Bible. It's not about getting them to start praying every day. It's about getting them to know Jesus. And when they know Jesus and they begin following Jesus, a lot of their life, in fact, all of their life is going to change because Jesus transforms us. He fills us with his spirit. He makes us new. He makes us a new creation. And he changes everything about us as he shapes us into his image. But we have to first introduce people to Jesus. And we can't, we can't divorce this concept from discipleship. Okay, we as believers, we like to kind of break things down as much as possible. And so we've taken 
make disciples and we've separated it into evangelism and discipleship. And that's a very unbiblical thing to do. There's no such thing as evangelism without discipleship. There's no discipleship without evangelism. There's no witnessing to somebody without discipling them. Okay, we, we can't do that. We, we do that and we shouldn't because we were never called to go and make converts. We were called to get people to follow Jesus with us. That's making disciples. People who are coming along with us to follow Jesus together. And so introducing people to Jesus is a part of it that can't be separated. It's a part of the overall process. But we can't just leave them there. Okay, we can't just introduce people to Jesus and say the Holy Spirit will take it from here. That's not the way we do it. I mean, that's the way we see it done, but that's not what we should be doing. That's not what they did. They didn't just go have some big rally and see a bunch of people get saved and then just leave them. No, these people got saved and then they welcomed them into the loving community of believers. They begin to follow Jesus with us. We do it together. And that's why one of the easiest ways we can explain that is by helping them learn to follow him. They've got to learn to follow Jesus and we're going to help them do it. And we're going to talk about several different ways that we do that later. Um, but this is, this is a significant thing. And we can't divorce this concept from witnessing. Right? You can't just witness and tell somebody about Jesus and then leave them alone especially if they want to truly begin following him, you've got to help them learn what that actually means. And it means a lot more than just coming to church. It's going to cost them their whole life. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to follow him. In our, in our culture, I think the word apprentice would give us a better understanding of what disciple is trying to convey. If you think of becoming apprentices of Jesus... We're learning from him. We're being shaped by him into what we do. And that's what it meant to be a disciple, to be a student, to be a learner from a teacher. And and in their culture, in the first century, that was a full-time life commitment, not a nine to five, not this is what I do on the side for a few hours. This was I'm devoting my life to this teacher and following him. And so we need to become full-time 24-7 apprentices of Jesus. And that's what we have to help people learn and understand about Christianity. The Christianity is not about making a profession and then going to church. It's about a full life surrender to follow Jesus and allow him to shape you more into his image. That's what Christianity is about. And that's what we need to do as believers. And lastly, but certainly not least, this has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be. We can't do it on our own. We often point out the Great Commission. We don't often point out uh, something that Luke tags on to the end of this thing. At the end of Luke's gospel, he, he recounts the Great Commission in you know, slightly different wording. They, they all worded things a little bit differently. But look at what Luke adds, and we see this verified in Acts chapter 1 also. And I never did change that. But in Acts 1.8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we know that one. We're we're very familiar with that, very aware of that. But look at the connection between the two. It's not just that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses and go make disciples to fulfill the mission he's given us. But in Luke chapter 24, 
I meant to get that. That's on me for not doing it. Everybody blames the sound booth guy. It's not his fault. I love my sound booth guy. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, which is what we just read about in Acts 1.8, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, Jesus had them with him for three years, roughly, training them, modeling this to them, explaining it to them. He's already died to accomplish the forgiveness of sin. He has rose from the dead. He has breathed and imparted the Holy Spirit on them to make them new spiritually. But he still said, wait. Wait until you receive this empowerment from the Holy Spirit before you go embark on that mission. And so we can never uh, reduce the significance of that act from Jesus. And it's something we see throughout the book of Acts. When the believers, you know, some believers first get saved in Samaria, the first thing the apostles do is, is send Peter and John up there to make sure they get filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul meets some believers in Ephesus, his first question is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He knew they were born again, that they were regenerate, made alive spiritually, but they needed empowered to go be witnesses. And so we can't divorce this as well from the mission. It has to be all together. And another reason for this is to be intentionally Trinitarian in our mission statement. Did you notice that? We said to glorify God by introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's very intentional because that's a huge part of it. Even in the Great Commission, Jesus said to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that carry on through church history and and some of the great creeds of Christianity are broken down in a three-part thing. Um, I believe in God. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. All those things, we want to be mindful of that and declaring that. Even as something, something as simple as a mission statement, we want to be pointing to the, the true nature and character of God, who is himself, in a sense, a loving community, right? There is loving, interactive relationship within the Trinity and always has been. There was never a time that God was alone. There was a never a time that God was not loving and engaging, giving, and receiving love. As a Trinitarian nature, God has always existed in loving relationship. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. But this is our mission. As the loving community of believers who are following Jesus together, our goal is to glorify God by introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. How are we going to do that? Primarily, I say just first off, if, if the church is the community, it's the people, it's not the, the church as you might think of it as an organization. It's not the pastor and the leadership's job to go introduce people to Jesus. It's every believer's responsibility because we're a community of believers. That's what we are. And every one of us is tasked with this. But what is our strategy? As a community of believers, as people who get together, who do this thing together, follow Jesus together, 
there are certain things we want to do that we believe will help us be successful in accomplishing this mission to a large degree. And we're, we're narrowing it down to seven different practices, seven things we want to be about as a community of believers. This is not exhaustive, but this is a, a, a succinct way of summarizing what we're about. The first part of our strategy is worshiping God. We've covered that pretty heavy in, in glorifying God as a part of our mission statement, so I don't want to jump into that, but we have to purposefully worship God in what we do. Again, it goes beyond just singing, though we're going to sing. We're going to declare his praises with our voices, with those who have musical instruments and, and talents. I don't, but I'll sing along with you as you worship God musically. And all of those things, we should do that. But we have to understand that everything that we do is worship. And we have to be intentional about that. Because if we don't do it on purpose, we won't do it. So intentionally worship God in everything that you do. Secondly, as a, as a body of believers, we're committed to teaching the scriptures. The way, the way our normal preaching is, we're working through a particular book of the Bible passage by passage, letting the Holy Spirit open our eyes to what he's saying. I don't think there's any more spirit-led preaching you can have than preaching and teaching through the word that the Holy Spirit himself inspired. And so we're committed to it. In our life groups, our primary conversations are about whatever passage was dealt with that Sunday. Again, we're working the scriptures, letting God work in us through them. We're committed to teaching the scriptures. There's a good reason why. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you want to be complete, you want to be equipped for every good work, you want to be trained in righteousness, you know what one of your primary tools is? The scriptures. Now, we never idolize the scriptures. We don't view them as salvation or them as imparting life. They are a tool. The scriptures are a means by which God shapes us. They're a means by which he makes himself known to us. But the Pharisees were rebuked by Jesus for thinking they had life in them when they missed God. Okay, we can never get so hung up on the scriptures that we miss Jesus, right? These are telling us about Jesus, showing us how to live life with him, but they are a primary means of doing so. We can never uh, neglect or minimize the importance of the scriptures. Thirdly, and really piggybacking straight off of that, is training believers. Okay, I, I love the word training. It captures something that, that teaching really doesn't. Okay, if you think of that, you know, and we all see training in different ways. If you've ever had a job, you've probably had employee training. A lot of churches have volunteer training. Baseball has spring training. Football has uh, training camps. Um, Marine Corps has basic training that's long and challenging. But you make it through it. But there are all sorts of ways. Yeah, most people make it through it. Not everybody makes it through. That's okay. We love them anyway. But we have training. A lot of things need trained. You know, you musicians train their hands and their fingers to do different things. And, but as believers, we need to train ourselves and be trained in following Jesus. And that's one of the things we want to do. We don't want to just give information. Okay, that, that's the only, 
downside, I think, to the word teaching. I'm a huge fan of teaching and, and growing in our intellect and things like that. But when we just talk about teaching, sometimes all we think of is imparting knowledge. Um, as Pastor Jose likes to say, the data dump. Like we're just giving information. Okay, but it, it's not just a data dump. It's we, we've got to take this information and now live it. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission that we looked at? He didn't say, teach them everything I commanded. He said, teach them to observe everything I have commanded. And that means something radically different than just teaching the scripture. Okay, we have to teach it in such a way and then train in living it. That's why we say in in our mission statement to help them learn to follow him because we have to come alongside and help them learn to do this thing and put it into practice and live it out in real life. We see spiritual disciplines are all about training. Paul tells Timothy to, uh, to train himself for godliness. You know, you just saw about the scriptures are good for training in righteousness. This is something, uh, an idea and a notion that we need to embrace and live out. Fourth, cultivating community. Okay. We've already expressed that that's who we are and how we want to uh, to be more so, but we have to intentionally cultivate that. Okay, a loving community of following Jesus together isn't just going to happen on its own because we say it's the case. Okay, we can say a lot of things that doesn't make them true. We have to intentionally foster that kind of an environment. And so we're going to do everything that we can uh, as, as the, the pastors and elders of Grace Point to, to shape things that way. But even there, it takes all of us Every one of us has to be intentional about building the relationships with the people sitting to our left and to our right, with the people sitting across from us, you know, because church people like their seats and they sit in their own seats and um, often you, you may never meet somebody that sits on the other side. You know, you might see them across the way and wonder who that is, but we've got to meet people, you know, and as the church grows and more people come to be a part of this loving community of believers, that's going to become more challenging. But that doesn't mean we give up and say, oh, I'm going to go find a smaller church. That means we work harder to be more engaging and build more relationships with different people. That's just what we do. We, uh, to go back to the Marine Corps, we adapt and overcome. But we want to cultivate community. Fifth, we want to strengthen families. Okay, we, we are all about families. God created families in the garden. That's a central part of humanity as God intended it is strong, healthy families. That means we're committed to developing healthy, godly marriages, healthy, godly parenting, even relationships with the extended family because they're still family. And that's one of the biggest things the enemy wants to attack and is he unfortunately is doing a phenomenal job of destroying the families in our culture. He's turning men into women, wanting women to become men. He's showing through all the sitcoms that children are smarter than parents and parents are idiots and the husband and father is the worst of them all. Divorce is out the roof. Single parent um, homes are are commonplace. Children growing up in, in broken homes and mixed families. It's everywhere. And as the people of God, we have to come against that. We have to promote strong, healthy, godly, loving families, healthy marriages, godly fathers, be godly mothers, raise our children to love the Lord. 
And you know, even as we're getting ready to launch uh, some youth ministry stuff here and, and what we do with our children's ministries, we're not, we don't want it to be a drop-off scenario where you just drop your kids off, drop your teens off, and expect the church to, to impart the ways of the Lord to them. Parents are the primary teachers and trainers of their children. They should be, and they will be. And we, as Grace Point, want to come alongside and help you as parents do the best you can with training your children in the ways that they should go, raising them to love Jesus and walk in his ways. So we, we are primarily wanting to strengthen the families and let families be what God has created them to be. Sixth, we want to engage our neighbors. We've got to be reaching beyond and outside of our community of believers. He never called us to be a separatist group where we just huddle together and say, forget the rest of the world. He called us to go into the world and be a light, to shine brightly. How else are we gonna introduce people to Jesus if we're not interacting with them? And if you say that's a challenge because you just don't interact with very many non-believers, well, do something different. I mean, if, you're, if your daily routine doesn't put you in contact with non-believers, change it. I don't know what that means in your situation, but if you don't do something different, you're gonna get the same. And if the same isn't what it needs to be, you have to change something. We've got to find ways to engage our neighbors, whether they're lost or not. And, and by sometimes we think of everybody as neighbor and we make it so broad that we don't mean anybody in particular. But your neighbors are the people you interact with. Your neighbors are your actual neighbors. Again, do you know the names of your neighbors, the people that live by you? We should know the names of our neighbors. We should be getting to know them inviting them into our homes, loving them, seeing if they have any needs that we can meet. That's what we do. We've got to be engaging our neighbors. And again, this isn't primarily, well, I wonder what the church is gonna do to engage its community because we are the church. How are you individually going to reach your neighbors? Because if every believer here is reaching their neighbors, then we as Grace Point are making a difference in our community. You know, we wouldn't have to do any major outreaches as a church if every believer is introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him. Wouldn't have to spend a penny on that because we'd be doing it. It would be so unnecessary. It'd be a wonderful thing. But lastly, equipping missionaries. You know, we, we want to enable people to go all over the world to reach people for Jesus. And sometimes we tend to think of missionaries as only those people that are going around the world. And you know that we, we are fans of that. We support them doing that. We want to equip them with all of the resources financially, uh, with our prayers, with whatever other things, like Doug and Susan collecting the jewelry, um, Doug and Susan needing help with the translating work. There are ways we can equip them and resource them beyond just finances, but we want to do those things. We also want to equip each of you as a missionary, because you can't think that they're missionaries and you're not. They are people taking the gospel to other countries, but you are people who should be taking the gospel to your neighbors here. There's no such thing as a follower of Jesus who is not a missionary. There are some who are very poor missionaries, very bad missionaries, not very effective missionaries, but we're all missionaries. We just need to be doing it. We need to start viewing ourselves that way. And as, at Grace Point, we want people to view themselves. We want you 
to view yourself as a missionary. And we want to equip you. We want to resource you. We want to enable you. We want to empower you. We want to train you to help you be as effective in the mission God has called you to do with your neighbors as possible. So again, these are not exhaustive, but they're the main structure of our effort. This is who we are. This is what he's called us to do. And this is how we're going to do it. This is what it means to be Grace Point. This is what it means for you to say Grace Point is your church home. This is your church family. This is what we are. And so I just want to hit these things one last time. We are a loving community of believers who are following Jesus together. And what God has called us to do is to glorify him by introducing people to Jesus and helping them learn to follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to accomplish that by worshiping God, by teaching the scriptures, by training believers, cultivating community, strengthening families, engaging our neighbors, and equipping missionaries to go take Jesus all over the world. Amen. That's an exciting thing. Yeah, we can celebrate that. But now, as always, the biggest challenge isn't to just say it and affirm it. It's to be it. We want to be what he's called us to be as Grace Point. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what we're going to do. Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, the website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Until next time, God bless you.